by the time I had 19 years of happiness training. And so I said, okay, brain, I heard you the first time. I think you understand that I can't go back and drive him to another hospital now. Do you have better ideas? Is there anything that you can tell me that can make life better? Hi, everyone. I'm Hetty Holmes, and you are listening to Hacking Happiness with Dose, the podcast that explores what makes us feel good to get those happy hormones firing. My next guest is the hugely inspiring Mo Gordat, the former chief business officer for Google X who struggled with depression after his son Ali sadly died. Following this tragedy and after 12 years of research, Mo proposed an algorithm for happiness based on an understanding of how the brain takes in and processes joy and sadness. His mission, One Billion Happy, is to help one billion people become happier as a tribute to his son. This year, Mo launched a podcast called Slow Mo, believing that slowing down is the only way we can move forward, which feels like a pretty relevant message for 2020. I couldn't think of a better guest to help mark Mental Health Awareness Day. In this podcast, we talk about the role of dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin and endorphins in relation to our happiness, how we can recover from a terrible tragedy, and whether there's ever a reason for the event. Mo's opinion on if it's possible to overcome depression and thoughts on exercise addiction. As ever, we are so thankful to all our listeners for tuning in each week. To help us to keep going, we would love it if you could rate, review and subscribe. Also, please share our newsletter to your friends, family or anyone who you think needs a hit of happiness in their inbox. Now, I always go on about how my dog is the best investment I ever made in my well-being, but she almost ruined this episode by whining outside. We've tried our very best to edit it out, so apologies for any squeaking in advance. Thankfully, Mo was very understanding. I hope you enjoy. Well, I just, I, I want to say what an honor it is to have you on the Dose podcast. Um, I must say, I, I, I discovered you on um, Elizabeth Day's How to Fail podcast, where I was incredibly moved by your story. And then the follow-up episode you did during COVID, um, which I know touched a lot of people. Um, but also I've since discovered your amazing podcast, Slow Mo, where you, oh, yeah, you? I've okay. been listening to it. And um, yeah, the one I listened to yesterday was great with Dr. Kristen Neff about the yin and yang of self-compassion. Mm-hmm. I loved that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. Yeah, I could tell you were like so excited by it as well. It was really amazing to be a fly on the wall on that on that conversation. But um, I, I, I that's the concept I truly love that we are just really we're you know we're just chatting yeah. and then you know others are sort of like sitting. In. Yeah, I'm, I'm sometimes sometimes I sort of uh, of think about what I can do to have people participate. Mm-hmm. At point, you know, sometimes I, I was like, maybe, maybe I could do this like in a sort of Instagram live or something. And then people can just jump in and talk to yeah. us. Uh, but then, but then the problem of course, is that when we do that, they limit us to one hour and the quality. Yeah. And I guess you might lose that intimacy as well when you're really deep into conversation. That, that, that's the other thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, we're doing something really cool now as of, uh, if you if you listen to the conversation with uh, um, uh, Edith uh, Eger, mm-hmm. uh, is actually my favorite conversation on slow mo so far, and um, and we're doing something that we're going to call um, slow mo uncut. Right. So we're going to release on YouTube uh, the entire conversation, including the parts where we were not supposed to be recording. Uh-huh. I see. Yeah. Uh, that's actually really. So those are really you know. Most most guests are my friends, and so those are really really connected. Yeah, but you, usually those are the best bits in a way, aren't they? <laughs> I totally, I'm totally. Yeah, because yeah. that's just yeah all the yeah. little intimate discussions. Well, um, I, I hope you appreciate the the acronym behind our business, Dose, which is for yes. Happy Hormones. I love it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and yeah. that's kind of how we like to structure the podcast too. So. Um, so uh-huh. we like to kick off by talking about dopamine in terms of driving us towards our goals and motivation. Um, but a, a subject that is, is hugely topical right now is burnout. So I, I wanted mm. to understand from you, like, what is it with the relationship between dopamine and burnout and, and how, we can, how we can maybe use the process of slowing down to, to relieve those symptoms of burnout? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say dopamine is, drives burnout. I think our obsession drives, drives burnout and dopamine, yeah. right? So there is, there is some sort of a, a correlation between taking life uh, um, addictively and obsessively 
and, and eventually getting to burnout. And burnout is a very sensitive topic because the, the, if you want the, the symptom of burnout is that, you know, or the, or, the, or the driver that gets you to burnout is that you're working too hard. But the truth is there is an underlying reason uh, for you to do that, right? So it could either be some element of fear, some element of ego, yeah. you know, and, and those are actually, um, uh, you know, they're, d- dopamine hides those, you know, those drivers, but, but it actually isn't, uh, you know, it, it's not, the, 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 the burnout is not a result of a drive for reward, which is what dopamine does, to, mm. you know. Uh, this is when when you have you you get dopamine in your body when you feel that you achieved something or you're you know you're being rewarded with something but but truly this is just another side effect to a lifestyle that is pushing for too much now if you ask me what's happening with burnout today i believe that people end up in burnout because of one of three reasons one is either a, a, a false belief that this is what life is about, okay? Uh, you know, I, I was a business executive my whole life. I spent a big part of my life believing in Harvard Business Review and all of the, you know, uh, the, the kind of uh, shark tank kind uh, uh, of, uh, of slogans. And, and those basically tell us that we're here in this life work. And so if you, if you believe in that, you basically maximize that purpose and that's a very very false belief the second in my view is a a a, um, a kind of fear that if if i'm if i don't work hard enough then i'm not going to be good enough and if i'm not going to be good enough i'm going to be rejected or i'm going to be fired or i'm going to be bypassed by other uh, 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 you know players in my community or in my company and so on and so forth and the third is a sense of ego, if you ask me, a, a sense of, you know, I want to appear. You know how it is when, when you go and ask people how they are in a work environment, the most common answer is, I'm busy, yeah. right? And, and, you know, reality is, I work too. I mean, in most of my life, I spent three to four hours a day achieving uh, what I what I needed to achieve. And then the rest of the time, most people would spend pretending to be busy while I basically spent having coffee or writing books, right? And I never really needed to tell people that I'm busy because as a matter of fact, I'm actually more impressive if I am achieving my targets when I'm not busy, right? I can over deliver on my targets and I don't appear stressed and I don't appear uh, to be overworking. That basically means I'm, I'm doing okay. I can achieve without having to stress out. And so all of, all of, um, all of burnout in my view is a choice. It's a choice that basically says, I am going to work myself to the ground because the other scenarios are not good enough. Okay? The other scenarios will either not satisfy my ego, they will trigger my fear, and, you know, or, or, or they will not agree with my belief system. And that's such a, I don't know how to say it, that's such a, um, I'm sorry to say, stupid stance because... Because in reality, burnout is the absolute worst outcome you can get out of all of those three, right? You know, it's the fourth outcome that's worse, worse than all three. And so in my mind, I believe that, uh, that the way to overcome it actually is to start with the other hormones first, if you, don't, if you, if you want me. You know, my, my view of, of, of overworking is I fill my calendar with the stuff that other hormones need first. Okay, I, I spend, I, 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 um, I, uh, I start with my connection to my daughter and the people that I love. And there is an amount of time in my calendar that's set for this. I, I you know, I have, uh, which, which basically gives you endorphins and connection and so on and so forth. I have my workout time. I have my uh, movement time. I have my quiet time. I have my... Uh, meditation time. So I basically prioritize the other things because eventually, as we all know, work will expand to fill the time available for it. And so if you, if you start your plan for the day by, by knowing what is the time available for it, you'll 
squeeze yourself a little, get your work done, mm. and then we're done. Yeah, it's, it's about finding the balance, isn't it? Because otherwise your, your career can become your obsession. And then it's like you're constantly just kind of chasing the next reward, the next high, the next high, until eventually you will burn out. But I think what's been really interesting with COVID is that people have been kind of forced to slow down, aren't they, in terms of their workload. They're having to work in a different way. And that's, that's an interesting thing that's been happening because people are probably working a lot more efficiently than they did previously by cutting out the commute and, you know, taking calls from their homes where they're kind of multitasking, whether they've got families and, and things like that. So. Mm. Mm-hmm. so COVID to me is, a, is truly a blessing in disguise in many, many ways. And I know people get upset sometimes when I say mm. that because some people will only look at the negative side of it. And there, there are negatives to it, right? But in, on, on the positives, as you rightly said, you're a lot more in control of your own time. There is a lot less waste. There is a lot more uh, um, ability for you to sort of um, hide, if you want, right? You're not in the corridors or not on your desk. Uh, so, so you can sort of show up for the meetings. And then when it's not the meetings, you can play music and shake your bum and enjoy it. Exactly, right? and and so yeah, and so and so a lot of people who who realize those upsides, uh, you know, they they enjoy being locked down, or at, no, no, let's say they enjoy working remotely. But others who actually focus on the negatives, you know, I miss my work team, I miss the connection and the touch, I miss you know the ability to uh, to to occupy my day fully by starting very early, uh, stopping at a, a fast food uh, place to pick a sandwich and then rushing to the uh, tube. And, you know, by 8 p.m., whew, my life has passed without me having to think about it. You start to go like, ah, but I, you know, I don't want the extra time. I don't want the extra space. And it starts to, to, to work against you if you want. Um, th- there, is, there, is, uh, there is a big need with COVID, if you ask me, to be a lot more in charge of your own tasks because there's no one on top of your head to get you to do things all the time. But if you ask me, I think that's the most valuable skill mm. any professional ever, will ever have, which is when do I initiate something? How much do I, a time do I allocate to it? And what do I avoid? Yeah, and that's almost like the skill of being an entrepreneur, isn't it? Or a self-employed person when you have to manage your own time and you don't have that that structure necessarily because you have to think outside the box about ways, ways to structure it. And it's hard. There's a lot of people that are very put off by that way of working because there's a lot of space. It's because we're not trained that yeah. way. It's because we're not, you know, if, especially all of us, huh? as, as we start being a little more junior in our organizations and our workplace, mm. You know, you're sort of like in quadrant four in, four in situational leadership. So you're, you're, you're expecting to be told what to do. And so suddenly when you're not told what to do, you're sort of like, um, you know, so what do I do now? Yeah. Right? But, but believe it or not, from a, from a situational leadership point of view, you're supposed to be uh, growing into being quadrant one, as I, as I call it, which is basically I can operate independently and autonomously. I don't need constant supervision. supervision. I think COVID is giving you the chance to develop yourself mm. uh, into, into that space. I have to say, however, that you know, one, of, one of the hormones that are really, really important uh, that is not part of those mm. is the opposite of those. Uh, which, uh, which is cortisol and, and, and the idea of all of the stress that we apply to ourselves. Mm. You know, the, the idea of we have to be stressed to achieve yeah. is, is the exact opposite of what you actually need to understand about life. When, you know, when, when we, uh, so on, on, you know, one of the, of the biggest joys in my life since, uh, since uh, COVID is slow-mo. We were just talking about that. Where I, you know, I started the podcast where I talked to my wisest friends. And so now I have the luxury of just repeating what they're saying, which is really, really valuable. Mm. Right? And, and one of my most interesting uh, takeaways uh, take from uh, COVID was, uh, uh, from, from slow-mo, was early in the times of lockdown. I interviewed a, a, a lady that is the CEO of the World Happiness Summit. And she said, I schedule my anxiety. Mm, it's interesting. And, and I, said, what, I, I said, what do you mean by that, Karen? And she said, look, I take the topics that I know is going to stress me, that are going to stress me, such as watching the news or, you know, getting into um, a difficult meeting and so on. And I schedule those up front. So I basically tell myself, I'm going to um, 
you know, watch the news only from 2 to 2.30 p.m. Mm. And that's it, right? <clears throat> and by doing that, while it's not, it, it, it probably results in serotonin eventually because you're calm and content and your uh, uh, sympathetic nervous system, parasympathetic nervous system is engaged. Mm. Uh, the, the truth is it also reduces that constant shot of cortisol that we get in our body by stressing ourselves all the yeah. time. And that truly is the most important trick. This is why I say schedule the, the, the good hormones in your body first. Yeah. Put them in your calendar first. And when, when you do that, it becomes easier to be relaxed and content and, and feeling. Yeah. Good. What I find really interesting is the stress to rest ratio idea that, you know, you, there are some mm. good stress, right? Like, you know, you have a, a really amazing podcast or an interesting meeting and that will raise your level of stress. But as long as you're then counterbalancing that stress with some stuff that makes you happy too, then you can kind of ride this nice balanced wave. But I think it's, it's when people do too much of the stressful things, like they, they do that crazy workout, they go out with their friends, they do a stressful meeting, all of it at once. And that's when the cortisol yeah. can creep in. Yeah. So, so, so our biggest challenge in the modern world, and one of the main reasons we get into depression and burnout mm. is, is not the fact that you get some adrenaline or some cortisol in your body you need those you need those they are there for a reason it's that they were designed for very short-term interactions so so adrenaline in its pure design is there for you to uh, you know observe there is a tiger and so you know over superhero power your body so that you can fight or fight yeah. right and, and and that basically is is, it's, it's like almost a shot, right? It's there to last for 10, 15 minutes until that situation is resolved. And it's supposed to get out of your body afterwards. What we, what we do in the modern world is we take something like that and we apply it to closing a deal, mm. okay? But closing a deal takes four months. And so that constant four months of adrenaline in your blood is just basically constantly engaging your sympathetic nervous system getting your body to believe that there is a tiger there all the time mm. depriving your muscles depriving your digest sorry depriving your digestive system your depriving your you know your all of your relaxed functions mm. from ac the actual energy they need and you're just constantly almost constantly running away from a tiger mm. so over the long term there is a point where your uh, um, system collapses. It basically says, I can't take any more of that. And then you get into complete burnout. You get into complete uh, uh, um, depression. Mm. The, the other side of this, by the way, which is really important, is that our, um, our receptors um, sort of down-regulate. Mm. So, so one of the, of the most important effects of stress, I was talking to my very dear friend, Benson, on, uh, on, on slow-mo again a, a week ago. And Rick is one of the most renowned neuroscientists on the topic of, uh, of compassion and happiness and, and well-being and so on. And, and Rick was talking about how, um, how cortisol not only alerts your stress responses, but it also almost tells your amygdala to down-regulate. So basically, your amygdala, amygdala becomes more sensitized to stress. Mm. It starts to look for more reasons to stress. So, so you, you become, it becomes easier for you to, to stress from things that wouldn't have stressed you before that condition of constant stress. Yeah. So, so this is why it's almost a, a, a downward vicious circle that gets you to stress more. Yeah. So, so let, let, let's get into, into the practicalities so that our listeners you know, don't get lost in the hormonal makeup and the, and, and the, and the neuroscience of it. The answer is very straightforward. Hmm? Success in life is about taking the long journey, right? It's about overperforming on every step of the long journey. Mm. And, and, and to be able to do that, you need to take care of that machine, that vehicle that is taking you there. And the way to be able to do that is entirely about your ability to simply... Um, um, Schedule enough care for that vehicle that's your body mm. uh, up front because otherwise life will grab every other minute that you have, will grab every other effort that you have. Mm. Okay. And so, so if you look at my schedule, you will find that in my calendar, there are slots that say time with Aya, my daughter, mm. right? 
And if, you know, if Boris Johnson asks for that time, I will respond by saying, can I ask Aya first if she has another you know, time to, to, to spend with mm. me, right? I mean, the, the idea here is it is as important for me as spending time working on a spreadsheet or as spending time writing or as spending time right, doing other things mm. because it's what enables you. Mm, it's what feeds your, exactly, it feeds your creative yeah. process. Well, this brings us nicely onto relationships and, you know, the oxytocin part where um, I love this, uh, a quote from one of the talks you gave about how every child is born happy. And if, you know, if we're fed, we're safe, we're loved, then we grow up into this world and then we suddenly have to learn how to love ourselves, which it's, it's not that mm. easy to do. And I think this is where mm. um, Dr. Kristin Neff's podcast I found really interesting because I guess, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's like an art, isn't it? To, to find that self-compassion and that self-love that so many of us can't find, but that in itself can feed us the oxytocin. Look, you have to, you have to ask yourself at a deeper level, why is it that we struggle to find self-love? Okay. And, and, you know, again, I mean, I I can, I can go through the, the, the normal path and say, you know, love yourself and you're good and I love you and all. But I think a lot of people are doing that. My my role in trying to sort of uh, uh, decode happiness, if you want, is to understand the logic behind it, Mm. right? And so you have to ask yourself that idea of good enough, right? It's like, I'm going to love me when I'm good enough. Hmm? Where does that come from, right? You really have to go deep, deep into the thinking of good enough for what? Like seriously, and, 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 I, and I have to ask everyone, which of you expects to be good enough at everything? Like I suck at basketball, doesn't bother me at all, right? I, I'm horrible at cooking uh, um, 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 steak. I don't care. Like I can give you 400 million examples of things I completely suck at, mm. right? And so does that make me good enough? Well, if, you know, if the world is judging good and bad by cooking steak, then I'm gone, I'm toast, mm-hmm. I'm, right? But, but, but there are things that each and every single one of us is good at. And one of the exercises I ask people to do is I ask them to take a long piece of paper mm-hmm. and at the top write their name with a nice description. It's like, uh, kind mo, or something like mm-hmm. that. Or... Uh, uh, handsome in a George Clooney way more, or something stupid like mm. that, right? Like, really be nice to me. And then right below it, here is what I love about you, okay? And here is what I love about you can go in a very long list hmm, of not the things that you don't think you're good enough at, but start listing the things that you're good at, okay? I love how you deal with your friends. I love your resilience in the, in the light of uh, difficult situations. I love that you have to read books. I love that you love candles. I love... Whatever, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and for, for, for women specifically, if you don't mind me saying, where women are hypersensitive to, you know, their beauty and their appearance and some, you know, sometimes they compare to others. I would want any woman in the world to say, and I love your eyes. I love your eyebrows. Maybe I'm, you know, you know I'm not the biggest fan of my hair. Mm-hmm. Of course, obviously I'm not, <laughs> right? But, 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 the, but the question really is not what I'm not the biggest, fan of mm. it's, it's the question is what do i actually love about me and if you list those you will realize that there is a lot a lot of what that you're good enough at okay that's number one number two is for who mm. so who are who are you trying to be good enough to like you know if you try to please those who like uh, people who uh, are party animals and you're not a party animal you're not going to mm. right and by the way if you're a party animal and you're trying to please those who like to love to read books Instead, by definition, you're going to lose those. Mm. And if you start to really think about it logically, you realize that this whole idea of having a precondition of self-love that is based on being good enough, Mm -hmm. okay, is, is, is a fallacy that comes from the way we were raised in school by our parents. And by the way, one that has never, ever worked because no one has ever managed to succeed to be good enough at everything, okay? And, and, and at the same time, you know, um, um, it's something that basically makes people miserable, 
Mm-hmm. So, so even though the original intention was, you know, I want you to be good enough so, I, so you become happy and successful in life, seems to fail miserably. It's like when we keep pushing ourselves that way, you know, we end up unhappy. And, and I really think the question is, how would you have wanted your parents or school to treat you, mm-hmm. right? Start treating yourself that way. That's the whole idea. You know, when, when Kristen Neff was talking on slow-mo about the idea of hugging yourself, yeah. telling yourself kind words, right? Telling yourself, I understand. Oh, this must be very tough. Like you would talk to a child that fell and hurt its knee, yeah. right? And, and if we learn to do that, something amazing happens. The opposite of all of that madness of push yourself, push yourself, becomes I'm not trying to be to achieve more in life because I'm bad. I'm trying to achieve more in life because I'm doing really well and I can do better. Mm. Okay. I can always do better. You know, for example, my answer to this question this time that was a little long. <laughs> I don't hate me for that. Yeah. Okay. I, I just think, okay, next time when I think about that question, I'll answer it a little quick, you know, quicker, but well done, Mo. You tried to spread a little bit of logic and happiness to people. Yeah. No, nothing wrong with No, exactly. That. And I think it's something we should all try and practice more. It's, yeah, like, I think I love that comparison of hugging yourself, seeing yourself as a child. Like you wouldn't dream of be, you know, saying such hard things to people who are kind of more vulnerable and innocent. So you should see yourself in the same light. And then, yeah. yeah. And then would you be happy to talk a bit about Ali, who you, your son, who you sadly lost? And, you know, we've all, we've all lost someone. And I know during COVID, there's been a lot of bereavement and how that affects our ability to feel happiness. Because at the time, obviously, it's a very numbing sensation and we feel like we can't love again. Um, but how, how, how did you cope through that period of time? So this really depends on your definition of happiness, yeah. right? So if you, if, if, you, if you expect that I would lose my child and then, you know, then four days later, I'm in a party jumping, jumping up and down, mm. then I think that's, that's really too ambitious, right? But happiness, in my definition, is an, a, a feeling of contentment, mm. a feeling of peace, a feeling of being okay with life as it is. So, so in, my, in my work, I basically say your happiness equation is um, your happiness is equal to or greater than the difference between the events of your life and your expectations of how life so we, we feel happy, not when life gives us something in specific, but when what life gives us is equal to or greater than what we want life to give us. Mm. Okay. So, you know, if you, if you, uh, if your expectation in life is that a boyfriend is going to be human, so by definition is going to have some very good virtues and some bad ones or some not so good ones, mm. if that's your expectation and you end up with someone that has more good than bad, okay? Or that, that the good about them you love and the bad about them you don't care about, mm. right? Uh, then, then you're happy. But if your expectation is that, you know, he or she is going to be perfect in every possible way, by definition, you're going to be disappointed mm. because no one is perfect in every possible way. So, so, that, so that idea of what happiness is mm, mm. makes you start to look at, the, at loss in a different way. Can I be okay with life when I've lost a child? Mm. And I think the question really is, do I have any other choice? Mm. And I think most people don't, you know, find it strange when I say this, but do I have any other choice? I'm, you know, I, I had basically the idea, if I wanted to continue to live, mm, mm. then the only choice I have is to be okay with life. It forced my hand already, right? You know, my my son left already. There is no uh, discovery known to science that can bring anyone back. Mm. We've never in humanity ever brought anyone back. So, so when you when you realize that, you you distinguish a difference between what I call pain and suffering. Mm. Okay, don't get me wrong. Yesterday morning, uh, I heard a song that I uh, you know and Ali have something in common about. And I cried my head off. Mm. Now, does that, that, this pain of missing him hmm, doesn't go away. But that's pain. Hmm? Unhappiness is not about feeling that emotional pain. Unhappiness is about choosing to replay the parts of life we don't like, okay, mm. so that we torture ourselves and make no progress. It's like I can choose 
to take that clip of life when Ali was in the intensive care and the doctors have done five mistakes that were all preventable and I'm now losing my child. Mm. And I can play that over and over in my head, hate the doctors, hate life, hate hospitals, you know, hate the car that I drove him to the hospital in. I can go on for the rest of my life just playing that clip over and over again. Mm. Now, why would you ever do that? It's like the Netflix unhappiness. It's like, you know what, that horror movie that really traumatized you, let's play that again, mm. right? Why would we do that? Now, so, so when you really think about it, the only choice you have is to go on. And isn't it wiser to go on when you're okay with life? I'm not saying when you're dancing, when you're okay with life, because that's the new baseline of your life. And when you know that, can you make that baseline a little better every day by doing things that doesn't, don't bring him back, right? Everything I've done, you know, 10 million happy at the beginning, 1 billion happy now, my first book, my second book about to come out, slow-mo and, you know, the thousands and thousands of people that get inspired twice a week, mm. right? All of that makes it a little better, makes my life better and the lives of others better, makes me feel somehow that at least it wasn't for nothing that Ali left. Mm. But it doesn't bring him back. Mm. It doesn't bring him back. And I think people start to realize that. They start to see that it's okay to lose in the game sometimes. Mm. Okay? It's okay for the game to be difficult. That doesn't mean that the whole game is not worth Playing. going through. Yeah. Do you ever um, talk about <coughs> if there's ever like a meaning or like a reason for an, a tragic event? Like if there is a kind of a divine purpose when it feels so unfair at the time, do you ever, do you ever let your, your mind wander that way and think there must have been a reason for it? Or do you just put it down to just life being the way it is unfair? Life is not unfair. Life is not unfair. Okay. Uh, life is life mm. and life is supposed to be challenging. Right. It's supposed to be challenging as evident by every human life we've ever seen. Mm? So, so we, you know, uh, the Stoics, I, again, I interviewed uh, a, a master uh, Stoicism, um, uh, uh, you know, teacher, and he was talking about how the Stoics would, would realize in times of hardship hmm, a few facts that get you to see life for, its, for what it really is. Hmm. One is suffering doesn't add anything to anyone. It just adds pain to pain. Hmm. Okay? Two is most events hmm, are really in the bigger scheme of things hmm, not that massive. I mean, again, I, I know people will think I'm crazy. I have more certainty that I will die and go where Ali has gone hmm, sooner or later than I have certainty that I will live until tomorrow. Hmm. And when you really think about it, you start to realize that death, again, if you, if you see death the way I see death, which took a full chapter of, of Soul for Happy to try and explain, hmm. death is not the opposite of birth. It's not the opposite of life. It's the opposite of birth. Hmm. Right? Again, imagine a video game. Huh? You get into the game from a portal that is called birth and you get out of the game from a portal that is called death. Right? But this level of the game has nothing to do with life. You were alive before it, alive through it, and alive after it. Okay? You only become alive in this physical form, if you want, mm -hmm. when you come through birth. And you no longer become alive in this physical form when you go out through death. Mm. Now, when you, when you start to understand that, you start to understand that, honestly, sooner or later, whether I will live 27 more years or 27 more days, which will pass like that, we all know how, how the pace of life is, I will be where Ali is. Mm. Okay? What matters is, what am I going to do with those 27? But am I going to sit down and cry for 27 years? Or am I going to try and make my life and the life of those around me better during those 27 years? Mm. Which of them, assuming that neither of them brings Ali back, which of them sounds better for you? Mm. Do you find that reassuring? Because eventually you will get to him at the end of the game. It's, it's kind of, it's coming. It's just, you've got to try and 
make do with this period in between and make the most of it, as you say? Nobody asked me that question before. The truth is, I don't know if I'm going to get to him. Mm. So, so that again, I'm a scientist. Yeah. So at the end of the day, there has never been an observation. There has been people who have gone through uh, um, uh, near-death experiences that say that when they go through that light tunnel, they end up in a place where they see their loved ones, mm. not in their physical form, but in their spiritual form, if you want. In a, in in a, in you f- they feel their presence is what most people who have gone through near-death experiences would say. Mm. But Ali in his handsome, tall, beautiful self with the incredible hug. Mm. I mean, you you have no idea how that boy hugged. Mm. It's like, I am a, a Middle Eastern man, bald and beard, right? I would go into Ali's hug and I go, ah. <laughs> right? I, I, I just want to stay there. Huh? That physical form, I'm, I have 100% certainty I will never see again, mm. okay? But here's the question. Hmm? Does it matter if I will see that form again? If I feel his presence with me right now, right now, okay? And, and I know a lot of people will go like, ah, this, this spiritual, you know, hallucination. Not at all. As a matter of fact, we humans have numbed our intuition. We've numbed our ability to connect. But there are scientific facts. So there is something that is known as remote sensing, okay? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, those um, episodes they have on TV about psychics that they'll give them a handkerchief of someone and say, where is, they, uh, is he? And then they'll say, ah, you know, a uh, little hot, uh, you know, water tank on the left and stuff like mm-hmm. that, Okay. That is not science fiction. As a matter of fact, there was an experiment run by a general in the U.S. Army or in the CIA. I can find you the YouTube link to it, where they trained three, 30 soldiers randomly about that idea of remote sensing. And every single one of them managed to achieve that. It's, it's in every one of us. We block it like block everyone else, everything else, right? We have the ability to sense more than the physical, we just choose not to. Mm. Now, does it really matter for me if I will see Ali in his physical form again or not? No. What matters for me is that I can get my non-physical form to ascend enough to be able and qualify mm, to be that kind of spirit. Spirit is a religious term, but it's a a good way to describe what's non-physical about you. Mm. To be able to elevate my spirit to the point where I can see everything and everywhere all the time, mm. right? Now, understand that our physical world, and I don't know how scientific your audience is, so please allow me, excuse me if I get too technical, mm-hmm. but, but we, we live in what Einstein defined as space-time. It's a, it's a four-dimensional continuum of all time across all space, mm-hmm. Right? By the definition of subject-object relationships, for us to be able to perceive space, have to be outside that space. So for me to be able to perceive the building that I'm sitting in, I have to be outside it. For us to be able to see planet Earth, Mm -hmm. you have to be outside in space, right? Similarly, for us to have the ability to perceive the arrow of time, basically means we exist outside time. The true part of us, Mm -hmm. that is able to perceive time is not this physical form. It's something that exists outside space-time, right? And so for that thing to exist outside space-time, it basically means it doesn't die and it doesn't get born because dying and being born is subject to the the constraints of time, Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't, it, it basically means there is no before and after. I was not... I don't know. Uh, I, I was not made or I didn't come to life before Ali mm. and Ali didn't come to life before me. Okay. Ali's physical form came to life after to this physical universe after my physical form. Mm. But the truth is the true form of both of us have always existed before, during and after. Mm. Okay? And when you really start to understand you know, the, the idea of space-time, the idea of, for example, how the uncertainty principle would say that none of the physical is observed, 
unless it's observed by a life form, which basically tells you that all of all of life existed because before all of the physical, so that life observes the physical into existence, mm. right? And 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 these are things that are not beliefs. These are not um, legends and and fairy tales from religions. This is true true physics, right? We have to have existed as a form of life outside space time for space time itself to exist. Mm. So. My view of death is very straightforward. Imagine yourself in a game console, right? Uh, you, you, you know, you're the avatar on the screen being bashed and hit and, you know, stepped over by cars and thrown, flames thrown at you. And the avatar is suffering, right? But then, but then suddenly you decide, you know what? That's it. Put your controller down and the avatar and the screen disappears. Okay? Does that mean that the player has been affected in any way? The, the reality of our life is that we are made in this physical form like that avatar, mm. right? And, and that the true player is unaffected by all that happens in the physical form of that avatar, okay? Including the avatar dying. The player is unaffected. I'm the player. Mm. Ali is the player. And both of us are sitting on a sofa somewhere. Mm. Hmm? Red sofa, I <laughs> Okay. And just playing the game. Yeah. No, that is an amazing way to look at it. And especially if, because if obviously you played a lot of games with Ali, didn't you? And he taught you how to, oh, to yeah. actually be in the game and not be so concerned with completing the game. You were, you were always in a rush, I think, to, to finish the level. And he said, no, just enjoy <laughs> yeah. it. Be, be here. And I grew up, um, yeah. I grew up, uh, playing games with my brother who I sadly lost to suicide from 10 years of depression and that's something that I find quite reassuring when I think back to our gaming days together and even now just you know if I log on to an old Nintendo and I just hear like even the logo popping like popping on the screen it like oh it makes me feel so emotional because of all of that time we spent gaming together but it I think gaming is a, a really lovely way of describing it and that's why I'm so inspired by your kind of thinking through through your your book it's it really touched me it, it, it really it really is a game i'm so i'm so sorry for your loss by the way i didn't know no i i don't think i don't really talk about it publicly but i just think in this conversation in this context it feels relevant because i i also had a very strong bond with him through gaming as i know you did with ali and it feels yeah. just the right time to talk about it it is it is it's really the gaming truly is the right analogy of life if it, if you want, I think an, a, 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 an interesting analogy is, have you seen the movie Avatar? Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, Jake Solly is that soldier in a specific format mm. somewhere in a world that's not even the world where he becomes that blue creature that's able to love and to feel and to fight mm. and to get angry and so on and so forth. And, and the truth of how we are as humans hmm, lends a lot of evidence that this is the truth of, of life, right? There is so much that happens in dreams, for example, mm. Mm, that is not in the physical world. There is so much that happens in intuition, in psychic abilities, that, uh, that is true science. Mm? And we, we rarely talk about, but it happens in the real world with evidence behind it. Mm. And somehow, because the scientific method which has taken over our life for the last three to 400 years, assumes that if I cannot measure it, it doesn't exist, okay? For some reason, we've all, with a shallow understanding of, of science, accepted that I can't measure the soul, so it doesn't exist. Mm. I can't measure love, so it doesn't exist. I can't measure, and, and you have to imagine that those things, I mean, there is absolutely no scientific proof no scientific method driven idea that can prove that now that I'm looking at you, I love mm. you. I feel a sense of connection to you. Okay. Now there is no science to prove that, but it exists. Hmm? And so do so many things that our obsession with the, with the day to day physical life takes us away from. Now here is the thing, just like in the movie avatar, Jake Solly's blue avatar over there was so preoccupied with that life, right? It, it was so, it's, it's almost like when you get into a movie theater, the minute you sit in, 
you 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 go like oh my god those seats are not great mm-hmm. right and then you know you realize that the whole carpet is really not that clean and that there is so much noise from people munching on popcorn and there is that annoying red sign of exit on the side mm-hmm. okay none of that goes away by the way when the movie starts but once the movie starts you get sucked into it right you get sucked into it and you forget the red exit sign you forget how horrible the carpet and the seats are you don't listen you don't hear the munching of of popcorn anymore you get absorbed into that new reality mm. okay and you lose all sense of time that's exactly what happens to us when we get into this physical form when when in our physical form we're absorbed into the movie mm. okay while in reality if you just take time and again there are many many examples of people who have evolved in their spirituality that would actually be able to disconnect from that mm. to have out of body experiences to be able to as i said you know one of the most proven experiences is near death experiences with more than 10 million cases documented mm. okay those are the things that we ignore and this is why we obsess so much about loss okay i i did not lose ali Hmm? I just lost Ali, if you really think about it, mm. for what could be a total of 25 years of a lifetime that my be, true being, hmm? not the physical form of my being, my true being has a lifespan of eternity. Mm. I have a, my life, because I exist outside space-time, has a lifespan of eternity. I am not subject to time. Mm. Okay? And, and I lost Ali for 25 years. that's in the bigger scheme of things and i know that sounds mad for some people in the bigger scheme of things it's not a big deal mm. do you have an opinion on on people who suffer from depression and if there's a way to be for it to be overcome is that or is that just something that you feel like people are born with and it it kind of takes hold of them over time because obviously we you know we talk about serotonin about how like 90% of it is is our happiness it's kind of made in the gut and there's a lot of people looking into diet nutrition now are taking certain things away from their diet to to improve their mental health um but yeah did you think there is a is a way that you can overcome it or is that something that we live with and deal with and manage so so to start with no one is born with depression yeah. there isn't a single one month old child that is depressed mm. okay and and there is a big 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 debate about uh, uh nurture or nature okay mm. I tend to believe that all of our unhappiness is conditioned. Okay? It's conditioned even if you say genetically, it's it's not just genetically, it's how, it's the way your parents are. It's the way that your take caretakers are. It's and so on and so forth. An unhappiness is by definition a result of the way we think about life. It's not a result of what we were given genetically, it's not a result of what we uh, uh, of what life gives us, okay? It's a result of how you you are taught and conditioned to interpret what life has given you mm. now we end up in depression very very often nowadays uh, we have an all time high depression rates are, are at an all time high teen depression depression is at an all time high suicide rates at, are at an all time high female suicide staggering all time high mm. uh, and and teen suicide is at a staggering to all time high we get into those um uh, situations for many 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 reasons that are honestly unavoidable mm. unless we start to get out of the illusions of the modern world mm. okay so so if you're if you believe the voice in your head and if you're constantly driven by ego and you're subject to all of the lies that your friends post on social media and if you're completely living in the past and the future and concerned about your future and regretful about the past and so on and so forth what i call the six grand illusions mm. okay there's absolutely no way you can solve your happiness equation correctly okay there's absolutely no way you can feel happy when you're constantly looking for what's wrong with life what i call the seven blind spots mm. okay now and and when we are conditioned to do that just so you understand huh people in uh northern europe for example which have some of the highest subjective well-being on the planet okay are also some of the highest when it comes to suicide rate across the planet mm. 
Okay? So there is a lot of unhappiness even though everything is right. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is that it doesn't matter if everything is right or not because Latin Americans have a very difficult life, but they're dancing all the time. Okay? Uh, and, so, and so it's really not relevant to what life is giving you. It's relevant to how you interpret what life gives you. And I teach happiness a lot, and I teach a lot of people from Northern Europe, and they will basically say, yeah, you know, it's supposed to be perfect. Like, who gave you that service level agreement? Mm. Like, when you were born, did you sign a contract that said, you know, your lovers are going to be amazing and nobody's ever going to break up with you? And where did you get that from? Yeah. Right? And so what happens is we get into depression because of the way we are conditioned to look at life. Yeah. Okay? When we get into depression, sadly, what happens is that the hormonal makeup of our body becomes... Um, becomes distorted beyond repair, if you want, okay? Mm. And this is where intervention is needed. So you need to take some antidepressants and so on so that you adjust that chemical balance, if you mm. want, right? But the only way out of depression is to do the work. For, so for, for a person who knows someone who is depressed, I'll tell you openly, the ultimate cure to depression is love, mm. okay? And I have experimented that with people I love and with people that asked me who experimented with people they love, okay? Mm. Trust me, if the problem with depression is that we go to the people who are depressed and we blame them and we make them feel that they're idiots to be so unhappy mm. and we talk logic to them, they're not in that space, yeah. okay? All you need to do is to show up and say, I love you. Mm. I understand what you're going through and I'm not blaming you for it. I hope you will be better and I love you. I'm there for you and I love you. And you text them and you say, hey, I was passing by this cafe where we had coffee three weeks ago. Oh my God, that was a wonderful time. I love you, right? Remember that time when you were at my birthday and you hugged me? That was so beautiful. I miss you. And that's it, right? Eventually, what I found is that within a few weeks, those people start to go like, maybe I should live. Maybe it's okay to live. There is someone that loves me so much, Right? This is our duty when we have people in our life that are, are depressed. But when, when people are depressed, the only way, the only way to get them out of there is that they look at life in ways that are different than the ways that got them to depression. That's the only way, right? If, if they believe that they are the victim and life is always going to be un, you know, unfair to them, as long as they think that way, the depression is going to keep coming. Back. Yeah. And I think it's, it's easy okay. with hindsight, isn't it? Like as someone who's lost someone from depression to think, oh, if only I did that. And if only I did that. And like, if I had my time again, I would have done this. But at the time, I guess we, if you don't know that, then it's, it's so hard, isn't it? Because you don't. We, we know very little. Yeah. We know very little. This is the problem. Huh? They teach us geography and social sciences. Mm. Hmm? Nobody teaches us happiness. Mm. We know very little. Mm. Okay. And, and the truth is, there is no blame. You can't blame yourself for something you don't know. I mean, my, my brain told me after Ali died, you should have driven him to another hospital. It kept telling me you should have driven him to another hospital until I'm, I'm really well trained. Mm. Huh? I have 19, by the time I had 19 years of happiness training. And so I said, okay, brain, I heard you the first time. I think you understand that I can't go back and drive him to another hospital now. Do you have better ideas? <laughs> Is there anything that you can tell me that can make life better, mm. right? And I have a very simple deal with my brain. My brain is allowed to bring me useful thoughts or joyful thoughts. That's it, yeah. okay? And, and I, you know, everyone laughs when I say it, but I call my brain Becky, and Becky is a third party, right? And if Becky comes to me and annoys me, I go like, Becky, we have a deal. Mm. You can either shut up <laughs> or you bring me a joyful thought or a useful thought. Mm. It's as simple as that, yeah. right? And so when my brain says, you should have driven him to another hospital. Okay, brain, I don't mind if this is true or, or false. It's not useful. Bring me a useful thought. And the other more important one is a joyful thought, mm. right? So if it doesn't have to be useful, but if it makes me feel better, that's okay. I wake up every morning, promise you, every morning. And my brain goes, Ali died. And I go like, yes, brain. Ali also lived. Mm. Yeah. Right? And these are the same exact fabric of a thought, but they're the opposite side. Right? One of them is Ali died, and that makes me think of all of the times that you know, I was in the intensive care, trying, you know, the stress of trying to, to see him you know, come out of it, the pain that I felt missing him, and so on and so forth. Ali lived. Mm. Oh, my God. 21 years 
of bliss, mm. right? You know, 21 years of, of, of what I don't deserve. By the way, I never signed the deal when I was born that I was going to be given the most amazing child as my child for 21 years. I had no guarantees for that, mm. right? And yet I was blessed with Ali. Mm -hmm. and, and I enjoyed everything about him for 21 years. So until I have missed him for 21 years, I have no right to complain. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I still have a great deal so far for having him in my life for 21 and a half years. Mm. Yeah, that's an, a lovely way to look at it as well. I'm thinking about endorphins because a lot of people, they mask their pain, don't they? By kind of over-exercising or finding something like cold water swimming, for instance, that kicks in that stress response that will really help to alleviate some of the pain that people feel, whether it is, you know, going through sadness themselves or, you know, grieving for a loved one. Um, what's your opinion on exercise addiction and, and people transferring pain in that way? Yeah, so, so, so I have, you know, I always say that there is, state of happiness and a state of escape yeah. okay and the state of escape is is a state that is uh, is that is um, you know masked in either endorphins or in uh, dopamine mm. right where basically what you're saying is i'm unable to deal with my unhappiness and so i'm just going to drown it in something mm. okay i'm going to numb my brain to the point where it's unable to solve my happiness equation and if my brain is not solving my happiness equation I'm going to be fine because I won't realize that I'm unhappy. Mm. Now, the ch challenge with that is that it basically behaves like a painkiller, mm. right? So you're, you feel a little unhappy and you tell yourself, okay, I'm going to uh, jump on a treadmill and then run a little bit. It's like popping a couple of Panadols or I don't know what you guys have. Paracetamol or something. Paracetamol, yeah. What a complex name for something so <laughs> simple. Know. Anyway, right? Yeah, so, so you, you, you pop a couple of them. And what happens is, as long as the, as the drug is going through your blood, you're okay. Mm. But then the effects wear out, and you have to pop another two, and another two, and another two. And that's the constant addiction that basically not only makes you take this all the time, but also take bigger and bigger doses. So if the treadmill is not working anymore, you start to run uh, excessively long marathons. If, you're not, if those are not working anymore, you jump out of an airplane, mm. right? You're constantly trying to numb Becky so that Becky stops talking, mm. right? Now, the way to use endorphins and dopamine, fun, it's basically fun, pleasure, Fun and pleasure mm. Mm, are, are the two sensations that numb the brain. I, I use them as a supplement, like taking a vitamin, mm. vitamin or vitamin in the mm -hmm. right? Uh, uh, you know, I, you know I, I take a vitamin. A vitamin is I'm healthy already. I've worked through my issues of unhappiness and I'm taking a dose of comedy or a dose of uh, um, uh, you know, uh, exercise or a dose of this or a dose of that because it keeps me happy. Yeah. It enhances my happiness. Okay. And, and so that basically means exercise as much as you love. I love to exercise, you know, have as much sex as you think is, ne is necessary or you enjoy. Mm. Huh? I've, eat as, as many wonderful meals as you want. Watch a comedy. If you want to do whatever, go to a party as long as you're healthy. Mm. Hmm? If you sense that what you're doing is being done out of the sense of escape, then you have a problem because it becomes useless. You have to pop another one, another one, and another one, and you have to increase the dose all the time. By the way, scientifically, what happens, as I said, is that your dopamine receptors, they downregulate. Huh? Your endorphins are not as effective anymore. Why? Because there is so much of them in your blood and you can't, you can't live without them anymore. Mm. So, so you basically need more and more and more and more. And what happens is when you pump those things in your blood, your serotonin goes away. Serotonin is, a, is exactly what the happiness equation is saying. Serotonin basically says, I'm okay with life as it is. I want to be calm and I don't want to do anything now. I want to sit down and focus on my digestion and my body's rest. And, you know, <clears throat> and when, 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 you when you have an excitatory in your body, mm. There is no more calming in it. And so serotonin goes away. It's really fascinating hearing you describe it like that, because over the last like, 10 years in London, we've seen just such a massive fitness boom with these 
fitness classes that almost transport you to nightclubs and it very much feels like you're getting high on something and you can see yeah yeah you are incredibly and then there's the dependency that comes with it you know you don't feel right unless you've had that class that gets you in that zone but like you say it becomes this dependency that you need over and over and over again and you have to be in a good state beforehand in order to not rely on it so much I think it's, it's, it's really amazing hearing you describe it like that um, what what do you think is is there the best exercise for happiness? Like, do you support things like cold water swimming, things like that? That that like going back to the kind of the tiger metaphor about how it shocks us into experiencing a short spurt of stress, um, which takes us back to a kind of how we we would have experienced stress. Or do you think that isn't so helpful? It's just this Wim Hof um, guy is being quite prolific, hasn't he, and in, mm. in inspiring quite a lot of people. Yeah uh guns are inspiring a lot of people yeah. too. violent movies are inspiring a lot of people too. yeah i'll tell you openly okay it's very hard to answer this question as an individual when every individual is different mm. i think i think the truth of so there, there is as a as a gamer mm. Mm, there is a massive difference between what is called an infinite and a finite game okay a finite game is a game that is driven by an objective mm. I'm playing tennis to win and crush the other guy. That's a finite game, okay? An infinite game is I'm playing Halo, right? And I'm playing for the, for the, only, the only thing I want out of that game is to play. Mm. I don't want to finish the level because when I finish the level, the game is over. I don't want to achieve anything. There is not even a score on the screen. I'm playing just to play, just to be a really good gamer. I, w- I want to completely hone down and get my shots to be one millimeter accurate in the exact right time. I'm just enjoying a game. I'm playing, mm. right? Anything you do with that in mind hmm, works really well for your body, for your psyche, for your ability to flow, for your ability to completely tune into yourself hmm, without all of the madness of I need to achieve, I need to fit in, I need six pack, I need you know uh, 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 to to be better than the others. I need to prove to my friends. I need a picture for for, for uh, Instagram, mm. all of that stuff. If you drop the target and play or exercise for the sake of exercise, mm. okay, then all of the reward hormones are no longer there. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you're in the flow of the experience itself, such as life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Life in itself is all about w- not the end. The end is you die. That's really mm-hmm. it. It's not even life anymore. Mm-hmm. It's about living. So working out for me is not about appearing to be fit. I'm, I'm reasonably fit for my age, actually quite fit for my age. Mm-hmm. I could probably push myself a little further and get that six pack. But that would be stupid. Mm. You know why? Because I freaking love cookies. Yeah. Mm? And, and, and my, my, my well-being requires a cookie with my coffee every now and then. Mm. Mm? And to be obsessively targeting that six pack takes away from my life more than it gives me. Mm. Mm? And, and so the, the idea is do whatever you love. Don't do anything that you don't love. And don't do it for a target. Do it for its own sake. Mm. And if you do that, you will be in the exact right zone all the yeah. time. You'll do as much of it as you feel makes you happy. And once it doesn't make you happy anymore, but you're doing it to prove something, you stop. Yeah, it goes back to your overarching idea of contentment, doesn't it? About stop chasing the highs. It's actually just about finding that kind of mundane, everyday, like middle ground. There are no highs. I have been the luckiest person you ever know. I became a millionaire when I, you know, in four years time, mm. right? And there is no highs. Once you get there, you go like, mm, millionaire, that's not good enough. I need to be a billionaire. What the hell? Where did that come from? I had nothing five years earlier, nothing. Like I would take my wife and we would go visit our parents a little more often between 27th and the 30th of the month because there was no more money to eat, mm. okay? And then suddenly I'm a millionaire and I'm never satisfied. Mm. I'm now, I, now, I now wear $19 t-shirts. I don't care what life gives me. Huh? But the trick is we are designed as humans to down-regulate our receptors. So we always want more and more and more and more and more. Okay, And more in everything. We want more of everything because 
what we get is not enough. Mm. So why are you chasing more if what you're getting is also not going to be enough? Mm. There was a point in my life where I had 16 cars in my garage. Mm. And I promise you, I noticed very clearly, the minute you're behind the steering wheel, you forget what car it is. Mm. You're focused on the road. You don't see what you're driving, right? But yet, some of us believe deeply inside that this ego gratification of I made it. I'll tell you openly, those who have the money to buy the cars don't need the car to prove to themselves that they made it. Those who don't haven't made it. So what are you trying to prove? Mm. And, and, and the trick is very straightforward. Why? Why? Why are we chasing all of that? Mm. Do you feel like with contentment has to come the kind of the loss of the ego? There is never a loss of the ego, sadly. I, this is my 17 years project. Mm -hmm. So I, I work on myself in, in, in the form of projects. I'm an engineer. So everything I do is highly organized. You, you see what I just told you? I said, I am an engineer. That's a form of ego. Mm. See, ego is not about being arrogant. Ego is, is, is about identifying with something. Yeah. Seeing yourself in a certain form and wanting the world to see you that way. Yeah. And I am an engineer. And in many ways, my brain is organized as an engineer. Why, why did I say it? Mm. Why did I say it? Okay. When I tell you I wear $19 t-shirts, hmm, that's, a, that's a form of ego. Yeah. I'm trying to tell you I'm a simple down-to-earth person. Mm. When I wear a Pink Floyd T-shirt, I'm trying to tell every other Pink Floyd you know, fan, hey, you and I are, are alike, right? It's, it's impossible to, to live without ego. Mm. The game of ego is very straightforward. Huh? You own your ego, you don't let it own. Mm. Okay? You own your ego, meaning you own the utility of it. When I wear an, a Pink Floyd T-shirt, it's because I truly love Pink Floyd and I love talking to people who love to, uh, Pink Floyd. They walk to me and they say, so what's your favorite album? Mm. Right? And that's a wonderful conversation. Right? There is a utility to wearing a Pink Floyd t-shirt. Mm. Mm? But if I associate with that, so that if someone walks to me and says, by the way, they're not the greatest band ever, I get upset, then I'm, I'm being screwed by my ego. Yeah. Right? I'm, I, I, there is, you know... Everyone on, uh, on, uh, on LinkedIn today is a vice president, right? Mm. That, that's an ego. It's, it has a utility to it. You might actually get hired mm. Mm, uh, to a job if you tell the world that you're a vice president because everyone else is telling the world that they're a vice president, mm. right? There is a utility to that. Mm? But if you believe that you're a vice president and if you believe that if they don't believe you, you're going to be upset, then you're screwed. Yeah. Because everyone... No one will ever sustain your ego. No, no one will ever respect your ego for the simple reason that they're more concerned with their own ego yeah. than you. Yeah. Okay? And if they make you big, then they're small. Yeah. Well, it's, it's incredible speaking to you. It's just so, you're so wise and, and full of incredible insight. Oh God, um, and I just, I want everyone to, to tune into your podcast because you've just got some incredible people on there. And like I said, it just, you feel like a fly on the wall and they're just such profound conversations. And, I just want to thank you for sharing your insight today with our audience. Very inspiring. I'm really, really, really grateful that you, that you uh, had me on. And I think this was a wonderful conversation in many ways. Touched on topics that I don't normally talk about. Thank you for telling people about slow-mo. I really, really think slow-mo will make a big difference. So, so these are the wisest people I know. Yeah. And I sit, I sit there like a student learning from them. So you, you'll, be, you'll be really inspired. And yeah, I would hope that everyone prioritizes their happiness and, mm. and really work on making that a few others around. Yeah, wonderful. If you have any questions about today's podcast, please drop us a line at hello at whateveryourdose.com.